Well, hello and welcome to The Mariner. Now, we're going to continue with more of the Sea Survival Handbook by Keith Colwell. Uh, this fantastic book has uh, given us quite a lot to think about, I think, in the last couple of podcasts. And they've come quite quickly because I'm able to record them in the situation that I'm in. What I've always done previously is go into a studio and record the podcast. And that's great, but it's also very, very difficult to do when you have a lot of other responsibilities going on, whether it be work or family or anything else. So this just sitting down with a microphone, way easier, way, way easier. And I hope there's a uh, an increase in the quality of the uh, audio on this one. The last two, we were using the boom mic with the noise suppression that I use when I'm at sea normally, gives it that kind of VHF sound. This is just a nice little lapel mic and hopefully it'll be a bit clearer and come through a bit nicer on your smart speaker or your car stereo, whatever it is. Thank you very much for the emails people have been sending me, creating a lot of interest this uh, area because it's not talked about very much. Um, I think it's great to use this book as a backbone and then add in extra experiences. I'd be interested to think of any suggestions you might have for people I could interview uh, to talk about this a little bit more because uh, having somebody who's been through this and being able to talk to them, you know, mono a mono plus all of you would be uh, would be great. So any ideas on folks I could um, interview regarding, um, well, safety at sea in, uh, you know, in general, but specifically this thing of getting into the life raft and, um, and what that's like in reality. As I said, it's not an experience I've had which I wear as a badge of honor. I don't want to be in that situation. Nobody does, but I'd rather learn from the the knee of somebody who's actually been there. Also, thank you very much for the ideas that you gave me regarding the questions for the uh, COO of, um, of Edward William. Very interesting. Some people certainly have got the intel that I've got from the internet, which is that there have been issues with insurance policies. But as I wrote back to each of those people and said, can you find similar stories about other insurers? And indeed, certainly my research and the two people that wrote back to me subsequently said, you can always find something about insurers and it may be historical, it may be current. The question is, are they up to date now? Are they providing coverage now? Is it something that we want to uh, trust in? I think if we can get to the bottom of exactly how that risk is carried by any brokerage and then check on those sources we should have ourselves uh, a good understanding of the product and if indeed everything is lined up we could have a insurer that you can get 10 percent on that can help me support this podcast and actually provides what everybody seems to want that was definitely the overall impression i got that people don't want to pay for if i scuff this or scuff that then i'm going to pay have the insurance pay for my boat to be repaired most people are just concerned with are we going to pay for other people's damage, other people's injuries? Will this cover me in the boatyard? Will this cover me going through the lock system? People writing to me from the Norfolk Broads saying there was issues with Edward William policies out on the uh, Broads. But then I also found issues with uh, other insurance providers uh, in the same situation. So the mystery continues, but let's get to the bottom of it because, uh, well, it'd be great to <laughs> it'd be great to have a little bit of sponsorship for the podcast. Other than that, it's you guys who are helping me make this happen. And that's happening, of course, over on patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. Just five bucks a month really helps support what's going on here. Um, I put about two hours a day into all this stuff. And then if it's a video editing or a video filming day for YouTube, then quite a lot more. My dream is certainly to make this a podcast and a YouTube channel, which gives you the content you need, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, good information. 
You don't need to have everybody running around in bikinis in the hot sands of the Caribbean. You just need to know how to be safe, how to be good skippers, good crew people for um, our families and friends. Um, let's try and make that happen. And so if it's not them, let's get some other sponsor. But um, for today, we are talking about getting into the life raft. Um, we are here on page 101 of this uh, Sea Survival Handbook. And let's let's jump right in. Getting into the life raft from the water. The cumbersome shape of an inflated life jacket, the weight of wet clothing and the strength sapping effects of cold water make it very difficult to climb unaided into a life raft from the water. The strongest and fittest person should enter the raft first and then they can help others to board. Now, I mentioned previously that I knew the founders of Team O uh, who invented the back toe life jacket, which I use now whenever I go sailing. Um, I've done a review for that over on YouTube. You can check it out if you look up back toe life jacket. But that started when one of the founders went into the water in the Solent uh, off the side of an etchel, which she and her family were very competitive in, very experienced with, and had sailed literally thousands of times in that same stretch of water in no doubt very similar conditions because it's the UK and it's horrible perpetually. But um, she went over the side of the boat uh, no life jackets worn by the crew historically, and I don't think in that fleet very much. And uh, it took a long time for them to get back to her, even though her dad and her brother, who were on board the actual with her, are expert sailors in the highest sense of the uh, word. They were unable to get that unpowered little etchel back to her before she had started to experience the strength sapping effects of cold water. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how... Um, wonderful your swimming is and how many thousands of meters you do every week, you start getting cold and you're dead weight. So as we talked about before, a couple of ways to mitigate that are get out of the water, which is what we're talking about here, getting to the life raft, um, getting used to cold water, which again, people have been contacting me saying that since we started doing this uh, season, this series rather, um, uh, quite a few seasons ago, uh, they've actually come to a more positive place about their relationship with the cold and cold water because certainly psychologically it can be crippling to go into cold water and then the reality of the physiological response as your blood gets moved closer to the bits that need it by your body uh, suddenly you don't have the use of your limbs trying to pull yourself up and into a life raft um, can be very very difficult so the strongest person gets in first and then they can drag others in. All life rafts, it continues, the book here, have ramps or ladders to aid entry. Get a foothold on the ladder and a firm grip on the handhold or top or just inside the top of the tube. Partially deflating your life jacket may make it easier to reach handholds inside the raft, especially if you're wearing a level 275 life jacket. So the 275 uh, life jackets have got a uh, interior volume of nearly 27 liters as opposed to 15 litres, which you'd have in a 115 newton meter jacket. It's the commercial life jacket. It's bulkier in storage. It has larger or twin cylinders, and uh, it, it provides a lot more um, safety rollover factor for if you're wearing um, a big, heavy suit. Uh, also, if you've got an immersion suit on, it's you're less likely to become inverted with air in the legs of your trousers if you've got a 275 life jacket on, but they're very bulky, and it's difficult to to reach around them to anything. The thing to remember with life raft uh, uh, ladders and also, you know, 
anything when you're watching a film and they have a helicopter come flying in with a rope ladder and the hero jumps onto the rope ladder and then swarms up the rope ladder, they're very difficult to operate. Rope ladders, you're meant to climb them on their edge, taking one of the vertical ropes um, in the center line of your body and then reaching round onto the rungs with your feet and hands. You're not meant to climb it like a ladder going up a, a side of a house or something. Similarly with the life raft, when you put your feet into the ladder and you've got uh, your hands only just out the water, the body position is such that instead of standing up, all that happens is you push your feet out underneath the life raft and uh, you push yourself essentially backwards into the water where your life jacket stops you from going down any. So rather than going to some weird inversion, which might be what would happen without the life jacket, what ends up happening is you just up kind of planking with half your body underneath the life raft. So you've got to get your feet into the life raft and like kind of get into a crouching position and get hold of the uh, handholds or people above you or ropes or anything you can as high up above you. And then in one dramatic move, you know, one dynamic move, stand up and push your legs out behind you. Like you're actually like you're on the foot ropes of a tall ship out on the yards. If you're out on the uh, the Flemish, what's that called on the very the Flemish strop? No, the Flemish, what's it called? On a tall ship on the yards, you have the, uh, the, the ropes that go down underneath the foot ropes. But at the very end, oh, there you go. Anybody remember that? I'm not going to dig too hard into my memory here, so I might remember it. But um, there's a cap for anybody who can remember the, or knows the... <laughs> the name of the special individual foot loop, which is at the outside of the yards on a tall ship for traditional furling of the sails. And it has to be like that because uh, otherwise the person at the end, with all the tension of the rest of the crew standing on the strops, there'd be nowhere to put your feet. So that special little bit at the end where you put your feet, that's most similar to being on a life raft uh, and trying to get in. You need to kick your legs out behind you and press upwards. And then that will drive you up and into the life raft. If you just try and stand up with a, a loose grip on the life raft, all that will happen is your legs will go out underneath the life raft and you'll be back flat in the water very, very quickly. Rescuing survivors, it says, get casualties into the raft quickly. The two strongest survivors should be on either side of the entrance to help casualties into the raft. Grab hold of the casualties life jacket straps and pull them face first up and into the raft. If they are not wearing a life jacket, grasp them firmly under or around the armpit. Get them to uh, assist by getting a foothold on the ladder and pushing themselves up. Get everyone out of the water fast, it says in capital letters, boldface. I'll keep reading actually because I want to see how far they go and then we'll fill in the details. Make sure that unconscious and semi-conscious casualties don't end up lying face down in the water in the bottom of the raft. Oh my goodness, yes. After they've been pulled in. Everyone in the raft should watch out for flailing legs and feet of newcomers as they enter the raft. Fend off or, of, uh, fend off or gently hold their ankles until they're settled. Once you are in the raft, move to the opposite side to keep the raft balanced. Keep a count of the survivors. Continually check that none drift away. Communicate with those in the water, especially those who are holding on, waiting their turn or on the other side of the raft. Help each other. Turning and pulling casualties in backwards by using their inherent buoyancy and dunking them first is slow and difficult and may also injure their back. Okay, a few things to get into there. Let's have a look at the first uh, 
parts of that. <clears throat> uh, rescuing survivors. When you have two people on either side of the door, you have two people who can potentially fall out. Okay, so yes, that sounds like a great idea. They need to be secured to the raft somehow. If you can, you want to pass your short strop around one of the uh, straps of the life raft, because if you have the two strongest people by the door and some catastrophic situation occurs, the two strongest people will now be outside the life raft. This doesn't sound very good, right? So you can clip onto elements inside the raft or the ropes outside. Make sure the, shops, the strops are short. If you've got someone that's a bit of a bit of a, a meat mountain who can pull people in, you can. It says, you know, can you dunk them and then use their inherent buoyancy to bring them up? If they have no life jacket on, getting people out of the water can be very difficult. If you've had children, and little Isaac uh, can help with this uh, lesson, and they uh, are at that bit where they don't want to move, they don't want to walk, they don't want to do anything, and they just go into that like lead weight uh, kind of mode that they can. Um, Isaac only weighs just over 30 pounds. It's only just like 15 odd kilos. And when he gets dead set heavy like that, yeah, I can pick him up. Of course I can. But it's a lot harder. Um, if he continues to act like that in my arms long term, I have to put him down. I can't deal with 30 pounds. It's like not complying with instructions uh, long term. When my dad was ill, um, at the very end of his illness, we, we looked after him with brain cancer. Um, there was a, a point came where life got very, very critical uh, because he could no longer brace his body to allow me to help him up and out of a chair and onto the bed and all those things. At that point, we were at a critically different point in his illness than we had been only a couple of days before when he could help with moving around. That's quite a personal example, but I want you to understand the dead weight of a body is not to be messed around with. Remember we went through the um, Newport Bermuda race and the unfortunate loss of um, the, the chap off the back of uh, the boat in the Newport Bermuda race in 2022. Yes, that's right. Um, he uh, was unable to be rescued from the water by the crew on board the boat. He was uh, a larger chap and uh, the crew on the boat could not get him out of the water, even though he at that point, uh, well, at first he was, you know, able perhaps to offer some assistance, but later on was unable to, and uh, they could not get him out of the water. So just because you're lower down, you're in the life raft, and it's like now important, don't think that it means that you just will be able to do it because now it's important. Um, it says that you can hurt their back as you dunk them in the water and then pull them out. That's when you grab hold of the back of the straps of the life jacket. Try dunking them and pulling them in forwards would be the obvious thing there. But their face is going to kind of get mashed a bit. Uh, they're going to land all over your boots and all the rest of it as you fall backwards. What tends to happen is that you lean out the life raft as one person, dunk them underwater. This is talking about somebody who doesn't have a life jacket on and you're at the end of your wick about how to get them in. You lean out and dunk them underwater, then pull, drive with your legs and pull them on top of your own body in the life raft. Okay, And you can have somebody else behind you in the life raft getting hold of your life jacket to pull on you as well to make a kind of cartoon capers type uh you know conga of people trying to rescue folks from the ocean but um rather than have two people on either side of the door it might be that um you have one person who's reaching and then pulling that person in and on top of themselves and everybody else assists and that person is clipped on while they're in the aperture and that person is held on to by somebody else don't 
don't create a situation where you can lose more than you're looking to to rescue right um yes it may well be that people um are completely unable to help themselves when they get into the life raft it can be feet arms boots grab bag you know water bottles anything and everything smashing around in there we would hope that yeah you don't add a broken nose or broken fingers to what's going on but it's going to be very chaotic and that is why training for this is far superior to just you know hoping that you don't ever have to deal with it because that um that doesn't fly of course okay get everyone out of the water first right we've all seen titanic and we know that uh rose viciously murdered murdered the poor young uh leonardo dicaprio whatever his character was called he's just leonardo dicaprio in every film he's in right they was blatantly enough room on that door. I think even Mythbusters went through it. Just getting a bit out of the water is very important. What Rose needed to do was back to the other side of the door or whatever it was and get him to start climbing out one side and then pull each other together and meet in the center. The same with a life raft, particularly if you've got small life rafts and maybe it's, um, it's ballast bags haven't yet filled properly. You need to have some of the crew on the opposite side the rescuers who are pulling people from the water on the other side and then everybody meeting in the middle as each new person gets in and then, yeah, hold on to them, secure them, let them. Uh, and there's and there's an opportunity, certainly at this point, to deflate life jackets. If you've come into the <clears throat> life raft, give somebody the job inside the life raft of deflating the life jackets just a bit. You can always top them back up again. If the weather gets really bad, top them back up. But having a giant inflated, you know, hard pad in front of you is no good for the things that need to happen next which might be hugging each other for heat and for emotional safety and also to hug each other so you don't caroom around inside the uh uh the, the the life raft if it's rough and smash into each other you want to get rid of those bladders hold on to each other and then you can at least uh, enjoy the ride as one warm safe emotionally supported unit as you slide around inside um turning people on their back and pulling them over the life raft. Yeah, people don't have much um, flexibility going backwards. It's something you do like at the dock. If you're rescuing someone from the water, you get out first, Well, you put their hands on the dock, uh, push up essentially on their hands whilst you're getting yourself out, but you pin them so they can't slide away. And then you reach over and turn them back to front essentially and pick them up with crossed arms. And then they flick onto their front as you, as you land them like a seal, right? Um, but they start looking out away from the dock with crossed arms above them. You pick them up and untwist their arms and they land like a seal on top of you. That's how you get someone out there. That's where the idea of pulling them out backwards might start from. And that's so you don't drag their face over the dock as they come. The life raft's different. There shouldn't be that much that can uh, that can hurt them. Pull them in forwards and they can arch over. But it's going to be a lot, lot easier if you start deflating their life jacket a bit and give them a little bit more ability to to help you to pull them in. But... If you make the decision to deflate someone's life jacket in the ocean and they're not clipped onto the life raft, bear in mind that you have now removed some of their ability to survive, you know. So be very sure you've got yourself fully set up before you reach in, press down on the valve inside the, the top up valve on the life jacket, deflate some of the air out until you've lost maybe 20 percent of it. So it's all just kind of like a, you know, a sack of, uh, of, of uh, loose material on the front of them. And then you can pull them in quite easily or easier, should I say. Uh, writing a capsized raft. Now, there's pictures in this and uh, there's a lot of detail, which would be pretty bloody boring to go through now. You have to know this one. 
um, my partner Kat, she said that her um, uh, a very common uh, saying by her father was that if you can't, what was it now? If you can't be told, then you'll have to feel. I think that's roughly how it goes. But basically, if you can't accept advice that's being given to you, then you're just going to have to feel this for yourself. This is the same with flicking a life raft over or something. You get the idea, basically, that there are ropes on the bottom of the life raft. Huh? Okay, easy. We can kind of, we're smart people. We know about ropes and, you know, how boats work. We can probably work out what happens next. We're going to get up on top of the life raft. Yes, indeed we are. And we're going to stand on one side of the life raft and pull on the rope from the opposite side of the life raft. Yes, we're going to do that. And is it going to land on our faces? Well, if we're very, very lucky, yes. We flipped it over. That's brilliant. The thing to say also is that you want to turn the life raft around so that the cylinder, the heavy bit, which is by the door, which is by under the ladder on the life raft, the cylinder is downwind. Okay. The cylinder is on the leeward side of the life raft. And then you climb up on the leeward side of the life raft. And then you pull on the rope, which is attached to the windward side of the life raft. And then it's all out windsurfing for about five seconds as this thing hopefully will catch the wind and then shoot off. Bear in mind, if it's very windy and you're trying to do this, it may literally leave the surface of the ocean. So make sure you're not like tied to it or, or snagged into it somehow, because when it catches the wind, it might go 40 foot downwind before it then gets itself into the water and gets its ballast bags in the water and slows down. But exactly how you do that, I think you're just going to have to fill that one. I could tell you and describe, yes, there's a guy kneeling in the water and there's a, but do it yourself. You need to get up on one side of the life raft, grab the rope from the opposite side. You need to be on the leeward side with you and the gas bottle. And then you pull up that windward side of the raft and it should roll over on top of you. Okay. Initial actions. Cut the painter with the buoyant safety knife held in a sheath close to the life raft entrance. Okay. Close to the life raft entrance is what you're going to need. Now, if you can recover as much of that line as possible, there's a hundred foot of useful line there. That could be something very, very good later on where you're, you've got water, you know, water bottles tied together and they're outside the life raft. It could be the painter line that you use for that. But if getting the life raft back close to the boat is difficult because of the strength of the wave and the wind, don't worry, just cut it where you are. It is polyester. There will be strain on it. There will be a bit of recoil. It shouldn't be too bad. The safety knife is such that you shouldn't be able to stab the side of the life raft and what have you with it. But bear in mind with those painters that they are very, very strong. And that if you were to mount a life raft on the deck of the boat and make the heinous mistake of tying the painter onto some metal piece of deck hardware, then you are condemning the life raft to go down with the boat. Okay, the life raft painter must be attached to the breakable loop which is part of the hydrostatic release on your life raft system. That painter is strong enough to damage the life raft. And I say that to say, if you're tied to the boat in very strong conditions, thinking, hey, this boat is a bigger target than we are, the painter does have the ability to damage the uh, attachment patch, the painter attachment patch on the life raft. And it should peel the patch off the rubber. Okay, It's all vulcanized together, but it may damage the tube. So if it's getting really, really rough and you're snugging and bumping up against the painter, it's time to lean outside and cut that line. And then hopefully, you know, you're on to uh, a better situation rather than going down with the boat, which it could pull you down with that painter or damaging the life raft with it snugging too hard up against it. Um, it says cut it as close to the point of attachment to the boat as possible. It may prove to be useful later. And we just said that pulling the line. Absolutely. 
Paddle clear of the sinking or burning vessel to prevent the raft from becoming damaged. Paddling. Paddling, paddling, paddling. Life rafts have paddles. Okay. Um, how much use are they? <laughs> Not much, let's be honest. So they're small and you're going to be leaning out and doing a kind of like a draw stroke. If you know you're kayaking, you're going to be doing a, or you're canoeing, uh, you're doing a draw stroke and dragging the blade flat to you. Bear in mind that uh, you're not doing much if you are um, paddling very, very gently, paddling very, very slowly. If you can't reach very far, if you can't reach very far, it's probably because your life raft's done up, which means you probably have to deflate your life jacket. It means you need to be held onto by somebody or attached to something. But you're going to reach out and do a draw stroke with your hand on top of the, the T-handle on the paddle and the, your other hand close probably to the actual blade of the paddle drawing it the water towards you now those kind of strokes can be useless right just understand how paddling works the paddle makes a hydraulic lock in the water and then you pull yourself closer to it so it will feel right if you're paddling in the life raft if you feel pressure on your knees remember you're paddling out the front of the life raft door you'll feel pressure on your knees and on your stomach as you pull your you dig the paddle into the water and then contract your lower body towards the paddle, shunting the, essentially shunting the life raft towards the paddle. If you're paddling a kayak, it's the easiest one perhaps to think of. Imagine you're sitting in a kayak and you've got the paddle out in front of you. Not a lot of people know this about kayaking, but you're meant to paddle with straight arms. Okay, you dig in the paddle on your right-hand side. The paddle enters the water almost vertically right next to your right knee, but your knee's inside the boat, the paddle's outside the boat. You then have to imagine that you've stuck the paddle into mud and that you're sliding the kayak across the surface of the mud to then be able to flick the paddle with straight arms over to the other side. So the left hand paddle goes into the water vertically next to your left knee, but your knees inside the boat, paddles outside the boat. And you then pull the paddle towards yourself and scoot your bum and the boat towards the paddle. That's how paddling works. And I say that why? Getting the life raft away from the boat if it's damaged on the hull could be critical to life. Similarly, if the boat's on fire and unfortunately you've ended up on the windward side of the boat through whatever, maybe you entered the life raft on the bow and now the boat has turned somewhat with being attached to the life raft and the, you know, you've wrapped the painter line in the damage on the side. Who knows what the situation is, but you may have to use those crappy paddles to actually move the life raft. So it seems like, let's do a quick lesson on paddling might be useful. You are moving yourself and the boat closer to the paddle. You're not pulling the paddle towards yourself, okay? Hopefully that will give you the sense for roughly how to um, get the best from that really crappy piece of equipment. <clears throat> Who knows? Um, pick up other survivors from the water. Yeah, it said that earlier on. Try and keep track of where everybody else is in the water. That's gonna pay, prove very difficult. In the event of one person being in the water on a boat in a man overboard situation, you've got somebody just dedicated looking at them and even that person can lose them. So if you go into the life raft and you can't find other people in the water, you're going to have to sort of manage that desperation internally the best you can to preserve the fighting chance of the people in the life raft. You can't be desperately, desperately searching, 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 searching for everybody. You can't be getting out the life raft to go and look for people or anything like that. I'm a strong swimmer, I'll go and search for them. You, you're gonna be able to see as far as your torches if it's daytime. 
if there's any kind of waves and it's night or day, you won't be able to see it. Pig in thing, okay? I can remember sailing across the um, North Sea uh, 2008 and uh, releasing balloons into the water. Yeah, I know. I, I have thought about <laughs> mediating this story that I don't throw rubber in the water, but, you know, that's how life goes. We had some balloons. It was a birthday. The balloons went into the water, but then we took the opportunity to watch how far away we could see them. And the answer was not very far. We were just sailing up the Dutch close. I think we were near the island of Tassel and uh, the balloons were not, you couldn't see them after a hundred odd feet. Okay. A hundred feet, 150 feet. It's getting very difficult when you're down at the water height and somebody else is in the water. You have to spiritually understand that they may now be lost. Okay. That sounds awful, but it is a reality. You cannot be compromising the situation of the people in the life raft you cannot be getting out and going get it getting folks all that's off the table now once you enter that life raft unless you know roughly where they are it may well be that they have a better hydraulic lock in the water than you do in the life raft because it's got a lot of windage and if it's a windy night you'll drift at different rates and you're going to get separated and that's how that's going to go we are in a triage situation here where the people inside the raft are your you know best bet but we know the paddles are crappy. We know the life raft is going to go probably where the wind's blowing it, although slowed slightly by its ballast pockets and the drogue that comes with the life raft. I'd say that's the, the best option is get your drogue out as fast as possible and limit how much you can separate from the, the where the other people most likely are around you. Um, but, but emotionally, get ready for the fact that um, you may not be able to get people out of the water, particularly if it's rough. Uh, congregate with other life rafts. Do not fasten together. Congregate with other life rafts. Well, you know, try. Uh, if there is a torch, can you flash a torch? Um, can you uh, use the heliograph for like a, an old CD or a piece of mirror or something you've got? Even a set of um, reading glasses with a dark material behind the lens can be used to reflect and try and attract the attention of other people in the other rafts. It'd be nice to know where they are, even if they're in within one horizon, you're not going to be much better off, even if you are within 20 feet of each other, because as it says, don't tie together and you're not going to be looking to like swap people from raft to raft unless you've got some crazy over population on one raft and not enough on the other. So um, emotionally, it's not it's very, very different, but physically it's not so different to be separated in that way. But if you can congregate together, just don't tie together. The reason for that is the same reason as making sure that you manage what's going on with that painter line. If you tie to the other life rafts and then there is a storm, this is this is not going to work. They're all going to be flicking around at different uh, rates. And this is not a robust. You know, you could probably make a life raft that was way stronger and way better provisioned and much, much more usable in terms of like actually maybe helping yourself and getting to some kind of civilization. But that life raft doesn't fit inside the box that you want to have on the deck of your boat it's not the weight that's going to make you smile you know when you bring it aboard hey it's only weighs so 55 kilos it's going to be 150 kilos to have like a small reliable rugged little boat in a, in a box and it's not going to be at the price point that you want so be heavily compromised and then also needing to be profitable for the manufacturer item that you've chosen to bring on board the boat is not very rugged it's not even as rugged as uh, the ribs on a, um, a Hyperlon uh, uh, rib or something like that, right? That may well be one mil spec Hyperlon, which is one mil thick, um, the military grade stuff. And uh, that's going to be thicker than what's in the life raft. So view it as it 
is. It's a, a, a delicate flower floating on the ocean that might be able to support your life. Don't tie it to a load of other delicate flowers as it's going to be all petals and tears before the end of the storm, okay? Um, salvage anything that might be useful. Yeah, salvage anything that might be useful. That sounds good. Don't have too much loose stuff flying around inside the life raft because it can damage the life raft or damage people. But clearly at this moment, if the boat's going, going, gone, um, there may be stuff that's useful. Just be aware of the fact that um, where are things going to be? The, the floating light stuff is going to be off downwind. The floating heavier stuff is going to stay pretty much hydraulically locked in the water. If the boat's still got sails half up, it's going to move downwind faster than the life raft and items which are hydraulically locked in the water. There is a somewhat understandable debris field and uh, the floaty things that you're more likely to be interested in are going to be downwind, moving away from you rapidly, seeing you've got a drogue out in your life raft. Now, if you've got a, um, um, if you've got a, uh, all your people into the life raft or you know what the situation is, you know, just you may have lost some, but they are lost or you've got everybody here. Okay, good. Not putting the drogue out as possible to keep you perhaps moving closer to the debris that may be around you. You know, the, uh, that's a bit of a kind of tenuous thought, but it's, it's, it's possible that if water jugs and things have gone into the water and you don't have the drogue out, you may drift at roughly the same rate as them and may be able to pick them up later on. But if you put the hydraulic lock in of the, uh, the sea anchor for the life raft, everything that's light and fluffy and floatable is off downwind and, and gone from you. So just bear that in mind. And people who are the biggest thing that's likely to be in the water that you really, really want, they're definitely going to be upwind. Okay, so again, maybe if you haven't got everybody on the life raft, you get that hydraulic lock in as early as possible and look to windward because that's more likely where they're going to be. Stream the sea anchor. Oh, my goodness. It's almost like I <laughs> know this stuff. Stream the sea anchor. When you are clear of the vessel, it will turn the raft's entrance away from the wind and waves. Awesome. It will also improve the raft's stability and slow its rate of drift, keeping you closer to the area where the rescuers will be searching. Well, if the boat's gone down, they're not going to be searching anywhere in particular. And if you happen to know from your navigation that downwind is closer to the land, then don't put the sea anchor in, right? You're still the skipper. You're still an intelligent crew member when you go into the life raft. It's still a vessel at sea, and you're meant to know how that works. You're a mariner, right? So um, sea anchor down, sea anchor not down. Is there a way of putting the paddle in and using it as a bit of a leeboard to make you cut across the wind? Is there uh, an opportunity here to... I don't know if, if it's nice, flat conditions, can you get under the life raft and put elastic bands around the, the, the pockets so that it streams sideways at two knots and takes you close to I have no idea what your situation is. Probably you can do elastic bands around them. You probably have to do like a strap that went underneath and collapse them. But the point being this, it's still a vessel. You still have skills. Try and use them to your best advantage. Choosing when to put the sea anchor out could be uh, very helpful or a great hindrance depending on your situation um if possible retrieve the canister lid and any packaging uh and then pick up any useful flotsam well, that's kind of repeating what it said above the packaging eh, maybe like the packaging of a 12-man life raft like we have on the back of the maxi um i'm not sure i want that in the life raft with me that's a big thing right it, somebody or something's going to end up in that and then it's going to like you know oh we'll just store all the stuff in the middle of life raft in this thing and then when it moves it really takes somebody out those are heavy fiberglass shells um on my life rafts but if it's smaller and it's useful you might be able to create something 
you might be able to create some kind of um, fish trap out of it. You might be able to stream them, uh, you know, uh, put a drive a hole through them with some kind of uh, device or or implement you find on board the life raft and then put the painter through them. And then they're another thing in the water, aren't they? Near and around you. But um, I don't know quite what useful purpose uh, the, the, the casings can have. Maybe it's just like uh, the final dying gasps of your consumerism that you just want to collect everything that's around you. Or if you're like really into, you know, saving the planet and you're like, hey, I'm going to keep those bits of fiberglass with my corpse and then we can tidy up all in one, <laughs> all in one go. Um, close the raft's entrance. OK, so once you've got the if it's if it's a um, if it's a, a storm and what have you, you need to get the entrance of the raft pointing away from the oncoming waves. Right. You can't have them blasting in through the doors and potentially overpressuring hydraulically or um, uh, pneumatically the inside of the, the, the life raft and then popping the, 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 the thing that's keeping you safe, the cover that's uh, keeping you out of most of the conditions. Uh, so get that door closed up. It's just got little ties on it. Again, if you've got very cold hands, they could be very difficult to do. So knowing how to uh, warm your hands up, getting them to your armpits, getting them into your crotch, getting them up by your neck and you're crotted, make make may make uh, numb hands come back to life a little bit get the strings done up and get the the raft closed it will also keep the warmth in there's going to be very little warmth coming off whoever's in the life raft as most of your warmth is being kept inside your insulative uh, layers and then inside your shell and there's such a big space and there's so much wind blowing around but if you can get an airspace to stop exchanging out for new wind, you know, the wind just keeps blowing the air through there. You're going to cut down on wind chill a lot. You may get a slight heating effect from, I don't know what, like you guys, if you've got a 12 man life raft, there's 12 people in there. Okay, fine. But if you've got, you know, a six man life raft and there's four of you in there, yeah, there's going to be some exhausted uh, air coming out for sure. But I don't know if that's really going to help so much, but stopping that wind chill, remember you lose one Celsius of uh, temperature, uh, effectively, the, the feeling on your body for every 10 kilometers an hour of wind. So if you're in 30 knots of wind, that's nearly 60 kilometers. That's six Celsius, like 500 degrees Fahrenheit or something. How much is that in six degrees, like 10 Fahrenheit? I don't know. I never know how that works when it gets down to that. I know what the equivalency is. I don't know. Let's just stick in Celsius. It's about six Celsius in 30 knots of wind if you're stood out directly in it okay so getting inside the life raft with the door shut is going to really help uh, make things feel feel better and i use the word feel because we know about the um, parasympathetic system we know the fact that you need to have this psychology to survive that it's been shown categorically empirically to be really really important you need to be able to get the door shut you need to be able to keep some of that wind out because the sound can be just completely haranguing to the soul to have this thing just screeching out there you don't want to see the waves you don't want to see what's going on um because it'll scare the, the Jesus out of folks just you're inside this is where we are this is where we're going to focus we're going to make our stand here sitting down <laughs> in this little citadel of this raft getting the door shut very very important to spiritually start that process it says use slip knots on the ties yeah well good luck with that um I hope you can do that. If you're going to make a bow, don't worry about both parts of the bow being available to pull on. Just make a bow that only has one loop in it. And then it's very easy to understand what to pull. 
And it's a lot easier to do that with cold hands than trying to make a, a bow like your shoes. It says open the entrance every 20 minutes to allow fresh air in. Most pressure relief valves vent outside the raft from the, the actual filling up of the life raft. Uh, if the PRV, the pressure release valve, is inside the raft, open the door to let out the fumes. Inhaling CO2 will give you a headache. A headache. Well, we know that. I don't think you have to like completely open the door, but you certainly have to get a good amount of air in, exchange everything out. If you've got a lot of folks in there, yeah, it's going to start getting pretty um, calm, dark side rich in there, and it's going to start to make you feel sleepy, headachey, um, apathetic, and possibly give you like a sense of doom that you like, hey, this is going to be awful. We're all going to die. Like that's it all starts to go downhill. CO2, very, very important gas, the gas of life in many ways, but it does have these negative effects in these situations, which we know about. I personally feel there's a connection between CO2 and uh, seasickness because every time, and I'm talking tens of thousands of times, I've seen people get seasick. They're always breathing really shallowly. They're like, and you have to say to them, hey, like if I gave you a drinking straw to breathe through for half an hour, you're going to feel pretty anxious and pretty sick by the end of that time, just breathing through a drinking straw. It's particularly if I'm asking you to do anything physical, right? It, it can feel very anxious and very awful, very tense. Um, that can happen or the same effect can happen just by only breathing very shallowly, never replacing properly what's in your lungs because you're freaked out because you're ill because you're whatever. So get everybody breathing. Yeah. And um, get that air exchanged out, but try and reduce the wind chill. And if there is a possibility of huddling together, staying close together in the center of the life raft and getting heat that way, then of course, go for it. Maintain the raft by checking for leaks and bailing out. Check that the equipment pack is still secured inside the raft. If not, check outside the raft. It may still be afloat and retrievable. They're tied on, everything in, in the, the emergency pack floats and um, it may well have bounced out the laugh raft during what's been going on. But the point is find it, get it into the life raft. It's important. So it says as a little uh, rem reminder here, remember, cut the painter, cut the painter and keep as much of it as you can. Stream the sea anchor when it's good seamanship to do so. Being aware of the debris field, don't move away from folks. Don't miss out on opportunity to chase down things you need, depending on your search situation. Close the door because spiritually, emotionally, uh, insulatively, it's very useful. But make sure that you are maintaining the raft by opening and closing the door for the CO2 from the inflation and from yourselves. And it, it, I hope it's going to say a little bit more than that. It says there very quickly, um, check for leaks. Um, again, if you've read 77 Days Adrift with Steve Callahan, he um, ends up with a leak in the, in the life raft. There are patching kits. And it's not quite as bad as you might think. It doesn't have to be quite so perfect uh, to, to, to seal out the uh, some kind of damage to the life raft. Uh, it doesn't have to be like perfectly, absolutely dry. But trying to patch um, Hyperlon or PVC in, uh, in, in, well, it wouldn't be Hyperlon, sorry. The, a rib would be Hyperlon. That'd be impossible. But trying to patch PVC with the stuff provided is very, very difficult. So your grab bag should have inside it what? like duct tape right or more particularly to stick away there's, there's duct tape there's duck tape there's dock tape which i've seen elsewhere and there's every other chinese manufacturer trying to get in on the fact that we all say something like duck or duct when we are talking about tape duct tape is for sealing ducts for air conditioning duck 
tape was a kind of brand of tape and they make electrical tape and self amalgam tape and they also make duct tape okay <laughs> let's see if my enunciation d-u-c-t duct uh, d-u-c-k quack quack okay what you need is a gorilla ooh, ooh, okay gorilla tape gorilla tape sticks like shit on a blanket and that right now is what you need particularly if the life raft has got some kind of tear in it what steve callahan ended up coming up with was a most ingenious method he had some random stuff with him in the life raft that he brought uh or i think maybe it was in the safety pack but he got a, he had a hole which was about a centimeter long in the life raft quite a likely kind of bit of damage and he got a cork into it and then he got uh um twine he had to, you know the raft was quite deflated by this experience of having this hole in it as you might imagine he then wrapped loads of twine around to secure the life rafts material around the perimeter of the cork okay and that looked like it was going to work a number of times he tried to pop it up it didn't quite pump it up it didn't quite work it kept blowing out there and eventually he got a fork a fork head essentially having snapped off a handle drove it through the pvc through the fork through the wraps and everything and out the other side to make a mechanical hold on you know like a mechanical grab between the bung essentially of the cork and the material of the life raft you're going to have to think that way or very strong glue a tube of 5200s and a corking gun is not the craziest thing although god help me i wouldn't want to be in a life raft in a storm with a half chewed up tube of 5200s in there <laughs> you might not want to be found by the rescue when uh <laughs> when you the tube of sigflex uh, has gone every which way but at least it would go off because it loves water right that's why i was thinking of sigflex if you've got a little one and you can get it out when situation's better you probably can make quite a good uh, repair with that but maintain the raft means stopping the water getting in letting the gas get out keeping the heat in checking to make sure none of the inflationary gases getting out of the tubes all right how are we doing for time here this is going pretty well with this uh, lapel microphone hopefully the quality is better i had to listen back to a couple of the other ones i did and it was like it's okay i think it sounds right if you're on a boat and you're obviously engaged in something quite um active to to have that kind of audio but if we're just talking about stuff i do personally i see that a lot on youtube people like get a mega camera and then the the, the sound is really crappy i have to concentrate that on that a lot with the Mariner's Library. Look, I managed to sneak it in once, okay? When I'm recording the Mariner's Library, I try and get a very consistent sound because the idea at the end is to make them into audiobooks and then sell them for a, uh, a small amount over on Patreon, like five bucks for a book or something. Um, I know certainly from my point of view, if you look at something like Sir Francis Chichester's uh, romantic, um, The Romantic Journey, what's it called, The Romantic Journey? Yeah, Romantic Voyage, sorry. Um, that's like 25 chapters and it takes about 40 minutes to do each one of those. So it's going to be like 25 or 30 hours of work. So five bucks for 30 hours of work for me to read it, record a book. I think that's pretty fair, but it wants to be a quality product. So I try and get a very consistent sound with that in the little uh, studio area with the microphone. But for this kind of stuff for the Marin, I don't think it's so essential, particularly if it means there's more uh, content, right? Everyone's saying the same thing, whatever it is you're going to do, just do it. Just make sure there's lots more of it because uh, people want to know the stuff, right? We don't need to take two years to make our way through a book. We can just do it in a couple of weeks if I can chat to you um, during these lunchtime sessions. So uh, let's crack on here. We're on page 106 and we've got about 15 or 20 minutes to go. Second reactions. 
what to do next. Be aware that there may well be a great temptation to collapse into the life raft and relax. Oh, oh. Okay, I would not have that temptation. I would be absolutely bricking it if I was in a life raft. I, I absolutely, I know enough about this stuff to know quite how tenuous it is when you're in the life raft. You know, I do a talk for industry, which is called Life Raft Earth, which is a 1960s environmental awareness phrase, which um, had died out somewhat. I heard it in some documentary and I thought, that's exactly right. If you want to talk about the planet and you want to give people the right attitude, like we don't have to freak everybody out with climate alarmism. But equally, you know, this is not like some super bedecked Cadillac spaceship that we're roaring through the cosmos on here, right? We're in a life raft. This thing's delicate. So life raft Earth is uh, the way to think of it. I would not be jumping into an actual life raft in any situation at sea and thinking it's in any way uh, time to relax. It says get organized before the cold saps your strength and your ability to use your hands. I'll bring bear in mind here also, I'll bring to the, the conversation. Uh, Tony Bullimore in the 2000 Vendee Globe, his boat was called, oh no, what was Tony Bullimore's boat called? Oh, Global, what's it called? Global Challenge? You know, all the boats are anything to do with round the world races or any of the races themselves always seem to have the word global challenge, you know, global solo challenge, the globe, uh, globe, ocean globe race, the, the challenge business, the... Uh, this, everything's global whatnot. But anyway, Tony Bullimore, a British uh, yachtsman, had got some pretty interesting. I think he had the distance record at that time on the trimaran apricot. I think it was quite competitive in that at the time, mostly because of the boat rather than Tony. But uh, he was down in the Southern Ocean and uh, his keel broke off and the boat immediately rolled upside down. I read the book of it. It's very interesting uh, book. It's definitely worth a read. The thing, though, is that I always disagreed with the fact that at the time, before I'd ever done any of this kind of racing or anything, the boat rolls upside down and he's got his hatches closed and he sat on the upturned cabin roof, essentially looking down through the, the, the windows at the boom and the upturned rig, you know, like he's looking down through the water of the Southern Ocean at his upside down boat. God, that must be awful. Um, and watching the boom smashing up against the what had been the the, the coach house roof, right? Um, and he sits and has biscuits and a cigarette. And I thought, God, that's stupid <laughs> because it is. And I'm not going to put it any other way. Like he achieved wonderful things. I get it. But uh, that's stupid because what happened next was the boom went through the windows or what happened eventually while he was still having his tea and biscuits, if I remember correctly. Um, the boom went through the window and immediately flooded the cabin. And then because of the up and down motion of the uh, boat uh, in the waves, that water is just basically allowed to go in and out of the boat in an unstoppable stream and just soaked him, removed most of his equipment. And uh, it, it was the beginning of the, the, the story with Tony Bullimore, which ended up with him being uh, rescued, I think 750 miles south of Perth uh, in Western Australia, which is a bloody long way south. I think it was the most southerly rescue the Australian Navy had ever done. Um, it was the one where he famously like kissed the guy that rescued him. And I'm sure it was a pretty honest uh, sentiment at the time. But um, he ended up in the half flooded boat up on a shelf, I think, kind of with some gear and with the EPUB, but not in all the right gear, not with all the stuff he had. It was a pretty, pretty messy situation. So um, in the event of getting into life raft, yeah, don't don't stop. That's not it. It's like running 100 meters. You don't 
run 100 meters competitively you run 110 meters competitively and then you get to uh you know have 10 meters off oh i hear a little voice i hear a little voice in nighttime well that's maybe where we'll leave it it's much more important for me to uh be doing that than uh recording podcasts if little isaac is up and about it's a bit early for him but um you never know then we'll just uh you know, this is the real world. I've got to go outside now and uh, be a dad and be other things. That's why I can't be at, on the water at the moment. Same as you. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's uh, it's winter at the moment. I've been making a little uh, well, a, a luge, I guess is what you'd say, like a little uh, path for Isaac's uh, sled to go down. Well, that's how it started. <laughs> and then Daddy realized that uh, actually there was a way of making this. It's about 500 feet long now. And it we're close to 88 miles an hour by the time you get to the bottom in my mind at least i'm expecting them go into the future but um it's it's uh it's quite the creation isaac gets to play on the top 20 or 30 feet of it and that's more than enough for him but uh just taking him outside and enjoying the, the winter weather with him is where my focus is right now and uh it sounds like he's kind of gone back to sleep here a little bit just as i chat to you but i'm going to work on the basis that that might just be a, a warning shot um, for me to um go and see what he's up to so i hope we've got some things nailed down there today going into the life raft is not the end of your seamanship it's not the bit where you stop being a mariner, a mariner and become a victim uh, knowing how to paddle with those crappy paddles could be a function of learning how to do draw strokes in a kayak or a um, canoe uh, this not being the worst experience of your life could be a case of um training for it knowing the equipment you've got knowing how to use that equipment, having the correct uh, mental uh, attitude towards what's going on. Perhaps if you've been taking cold showers, the cold water is not the worst thing. Maybe it's a highly dramatic, very, very worrying, you know, shocking experience, but it is not at the edge of human existence as it might be if you don't consider any of this stuff, don't train, don't get used to cold water, don't know what you're doing, don't have the right equipment, okay? Be smart, be on the upside of the curve here, um, and, and know what you're doing. Get the life raft uh, into some kind of semblance of uh, organized state. Know what equipment you've got. Get the door closed. Get your painter inboard as much of it as you can. Consolidate the equipment you've got. Make sure there's no other survivors around you. Emotionally deal with the fact that you may not see anybody else again. Try and congregate with other rafts if that's possible, but don't worry if it's not really that possible. Never connect onto another raft, and uh, hopefully you can have a... Uh, Oh, there's a little voice. Hopefully it's not as bad as, uh, it, as it might otherwise be. But um, wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now, I hope that you're safe and sound and not listening to this in a life raft. And I'll come back with more information in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.